Okay, our guest had a really good line in this discussion. Um, you know, it's about learning how to play nice in the sandbox, right? And I thought, man, that, that creates a great um, visual uh, representation of what relationships are like in property restoration because it can either be a sandbox or a lot of times it can feel like a litter box, right? And a lot of it depends on whether you're playing nice together or if we're all taking a dump you know, on, on each other and on the process and those kinds of things. So, you know, if you play in a box of sand, it's a sandbox for playing and getting along and doing things. And if you go number two in that sandbox, it becomes a litter box, right? Or much less enjoyable playground. So, um, I'm not sure. Okay. So I just spent probably 30 minutes this call with um, our guest, Ed Fogel, um, he's in DC. The internet was not participating with us um, on this call. And so we're, we're on the call. Normally I record the audio and the video in Zoom at the same time. That's not working. So we call, Ed has the idea we'll call each other. So the audio is over the phone. Thankfully, I also did a backup. Excuse me. Um, and like I've said many times, I'm not the most technologically proficient. You know, I get by. Um, so anyways, I posted a video on Instagram live, or I guess it's IGTV. I did it as a live, but I put it on IGTV if you want to watch that painful process of trying to line up the audios. And then <clears throat> because the video's lagging, lining up, you know, the words so that it doesn't look like, you know, um, it's a subtitled video or something like that. So this one had its share of technological difficulties. Thankfully, I've had a couple where it was just so bad there was nothing to salvage. Um, this one was salvaged, but it is a little rough. Um, you know, I think the last time this happened, uh, the video got corrupted with uh, Eric Sprague on 17. And, but I really thought there was so much good information in that episode. Um, I wanted to at least post the audio, so I kind of patched some video together for that. So anyways, overcoming challenges, um, you know, uh, that is the name of the game, right? I wonder how many of you are familiar with Cash Me Outside. So if you're younger, you know, hip like myself, you probably are aware of that. But I'm going to play you a clip because I want to give it some context because there's another clip I'm more excited to embed in the, um, I'm going to fuse or someone fused Napoleon Dynamite with Cash Me Outside. So if you're already cool and hip like me, you've already seen this. If you haven't, it's going to blow your mind. If you are aware of it, it's probably been a while since it's been referenced. So, you know, we're going to bring back some good memories. That's what we need, right? We need some some laughter and some nostalgia. And so here we go. This is a this is a young gal on Dr. Phil. Um, you know, so the family needs help. The mom says the daughter's out of control. Why anyone goes to Dr. Phil? I don't know, but it made for great TV. And hence, that's where we are, right? Because that's that's what we do. We don't actually go to someone that can help us. We go to somewhere where we can make money or, um, so here's the. So the audience are a bunch of hoes. Yeah. Catch me outside, how about that? Huh? Catch me outside, how about that? 
Okay, so this is hilarious on several levels. Um, so you saw there in the clapping, that's the mom. <laughs> so the, the, the girl says to Dr. Phil, the audience is a bunch of hoes. And <laughs> Dr. Phil. So the audience are a bunch of hoes. Yeah. <laughs> yup. The audience. So the audience is a bunch of hoes. Yup. So, okay. That's, that's your opinion. So who supports this? Mom. There's mom. Mom's pretty proud of that statement, right? <laughs> so mom's happy. There's crowd starts to boo. Huh? What, what's that now? What's that now? And to Dr. Phil's credit, none of us were ready for that statement. So you may have heard that and didn't know where it came from and laughed awkwardly, or those of you that have seen it before. But this is like the posture that a lot of us take with, um, you know, the, the TPAs, the third-party administrators and the third-party consultants, right? You know, it's like, you know, and, and, and then when you go to, you know, your superiors or the people in a position of leadership, you're like, man, I'm just getting blown up. They're like, huh? And then you say, what do you say? Uh, these, these, uh, these third party administrators or third party consultants, they're a bunch of hoes. And then your manager says, huh? The audience is the, the adjuster. So the audience are a bunch of hoes. And then you say, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then here's your your little buddies, right? You know, whether you're an estimator or a manager or something, you go tell you know all these guys. And all the time on, um, even on social media, these are the ones that are ridiculous. When uh, you know, man, I just blew this guy up, or I just totally destroyed this TPA or whatever, you know. And so, and there's your buddies cheering for you. And then, uh, <laughs> who's this? Um, you know. The carriers, I don't know, um, people that are just trying to make things work and, and do their job. That's the customer right there. The customer's like, what the heck? And then you follow up. Huh? Huh? So anyway, so that's that's the, the posture, right? That's the, the approach that we take. So um, <coughs> shameless plug um, and also a funny story about adaptation. So working on the... Um, so let's see, this is the, oops, the, we're working on the book. I'm working on the book. So I had originally intended to release a collaborative publication um, on culture. We've got all of the chapters from each of the contributors, um, but uh, someone was going to be helping us uh, publish and produce the book, someone that had experience. And unfortunately, life just takes turns, right? And um, they weren't able to uh, follow through with that. Still 100% behind in supporting the project, but it's fallen to me and I have no experience with it. So rather than, in, in, in my defense, like I would love to publish the collab collaborative publication first, right? And any kind of momentum from that, roll that into um, my book, but uh, it hasn't worked. So now I am cutting my teeth learning like the Kindle process on um, this book, Be Intentional Estimating. I'm hoping to have this like ready for Kindle by the end of the month. But one thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, we need to learn the three R's, right? Learn from relationships. Um, I'm sorry, learn from rejection, 
learn from repetition and learn from relationships. So in the book, we talk about some of the rules for making sure relationships are mutually beneficial. And I have exercised the demons. This house is clear. You know, so rather than having the uh, catch me outside uh, approach to third party consultants, TPCs are a big part of um, the industry and sometimes can be a very frustrating part. But, you know, two, one of the things that contractors have an issue with is being cut or questioned on the back end. But a lot of times the TPCs are thrown in on the back end as well. One thought is if you know the threshold and you've been in communication with your customer and the carrier, if you know the threshold that's going to take it into a third party consultant um, realm, which most of us are aware of if you've been in the industry for any period of time, you know, if you know you're going to be approaching that threshold, then get on the horn with the carrier, find out who their preferred TPC is, and try to initiate that conversation early on because it's way better to negotiate on the front end than to be in the battle on the back end. I don't know, some people like to do it the other way. You know, I would I would recommend going the other route, but that's just me. What do I know? I'm just a flipping podcaster, right? <laughs> so Ed Fogel is our guest. Oh, look at that. We both worked together, um, you know, at uh, Response Team 1. He was in D.C. I was in Seattle. But he's a mitigation expert with 17 years of experience in emergency disaster restoration services. Edwards ex- Edwards' expertise includes an in-depth knowledge of microbial contamination, fire mitigation, water mitigation in residential, commercial, multifamily housing, education facilities, and healthcare facilities. So he's been in in the industry. We'll talk about how he got into um, property damage and um, into the industry and then what that looks like going from restoration contractor into... um, being a third-party consultant so I know that's been a topic that's been you know some people have talked about in some of the um, groups you know we got Alliance of Independent Restorers are very active on Facebook um, just uh, water damage connection you've got NORP N-O-R-R-P and Restoration Rebels so there's always good conversations going on there's uh, a lot of times a lot of posturing going on and some cash me outside <laughs> but uh but uh, there's also a lot of good things that uh, you can pose questions and get input from people. So uh, let's get after it again. Please have a little bit of grace with us as this was a technological nightmare to put together. Uh, roll tape then. Let's see. Yeah, let's do it. Give me one second. There we go. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, we're recording. All right. Well, we're here with Ed Fogel with uh, JS Held, you know, on the other side of the fence with the uh, third-party consultants. We are met at this chosen ground to settle for good and all. Who holds sway over the five points? Um, so you're, you started um, in property, well, I guess I don't know how you started. I know we met when we were both working for the same company, but uh, what was your introduction into property restoration? It was our first job right out of high school. Oh. Um, I mean, I've probably been at it as a helper. Uh, it was a small restoration company. The Department of Mitigation Ward lost a little bit of fire. 
um, or Charles would be a gopher. Um, and I kind of got my feet wet in that. Like, I love this. I mean, I can go out here and work as many hours as I want. Um, not that I go to college or anything of that nature. So I basically was able to work from the ground up to kind of see all facets of it. Nice. Um, from there, uh, I started Moldivision out of the same company. I was like 19 years old. We were doing like, a lot of like multifamily new construction. So every time they uh, build a house, the wood set in the mud for six months and then yeah. they put it all back together. And then it's the mold result. If they, they, the builder at the time was going through there and uh, I mean, the dust right just when they clear all the properties, we're doing 80, 90 units at a time. It's pretty cool. Dang. Um, but yeah, so yeah. How did you, so how did you find that company initially then? Uh, it was a, uh, my girlfriend was up all the time, said, hey, you look for a job? I'm like, come on down. So I basically went down there, it was uh, his helper for uh, six months. Yep, yep. So you, you get in the water side, you start doing the mold side, and then, so how long did you, because I know prior to when we met, you had worked for Surpro, right? Uh, yes, I came from there. Okay. And I basically it was doing uh, public share for almost three years. Oh, dang. Um, so infection control, boulder remediation, fire, water loss, and healthcare. And then um, there were a the contractor of a public adjuster at the time, so they basically got a lot of work from those guys. Okay. So I did some pretty cool high-end uh, real estate, uh, classic uh, commercial buildings. And I got uh, was able to be a part of some pretty intricate projects. So you went and, uh, from there. Yeah, yeah. So you went multifamily to hospitals, and you work with public adjusters. That's uh, so a lot of. Did you at that time? Did you have a lot of interaction with the estimates and whatnot? Because you know, in the uh, in so, uh, initially no, but further uh, progressed. Yeah, uh, most of the ENS side, my background is primarily in the mitigation, EMS. Yeah. Um, the cleaning aspect, inspections, of that nature. Yeah. Um. So I didn't get too much into the rebuilds. Uh, I did have some input on some uh, construction types and building materials and such. But I worked with the estimators with hand and glove. Yeah, yeah. So you got the family, the family outfit doing multifamily. Then you go hospitals and working with the public adjusters, and then Serpro, which obviously, and are all those in the same kind of rough area? I know you're in. Um, Yep. Yep. Okay. And so, so then, so you got the family, then you go to serve pro and then, um, we were both at the time working for response team one. So, so you got kind of the full picture. I think mine's similar. I started at like a service master and then went to a family owned, um, and then went to Belfour and then went to response team one. So, um, do you, what's, uh, what do you think, I guess, what are some of the key lessons you picked up along the way working for the different types of uh, businesses? Um, and you kind of see it from all sides. I mean, yeah. You kind of see where, um, one big thing with EMS again was I was able to drive a lot of repair extraction work when we got our RG1 by the emergency services. So emergency services yep. got in front of the door for a lot of the large construction projects. Yep. Yep. Um, 
it was a super picture with those guys. And they had a great night in with the multi-families. Uh, yeah. We were doing uh, 30, 40 units at a time for more losses, fire damage. Um, so it was a pretty good uh, opportunity level to get your foot in there with the carpet thing and something in nature. Yeah. Uh, it's just about relationships. With anything else, it's about building a relationship with either with the adjuster, with the homeowner, with the uh, property manager, yeah yeah absolutely well and that was i think that's what drew me to rt1 was i went from a company that was program heavy to now you had multi-family and program work and um you know in a lot of ways that carpet cleaning it's like paid advertising that's also profitable you know so um because I was the advertising the door able to get myself in that vertical. Yep, yep. Well, it was interesting, you know, the the manager that I took over for <laughs> it was almost backwards. He was using um, like repairs. He would use drywall patches to try to get more carpet cleaning and when I got there I was like, "Man, it's that's a backward thinking because the the higher dollars, you know, the carpet Thankfully, our carpet division was profitable, um, you know, but that's that's that was a whole learning curve for me, man, because, you know, at least working at Belfour and, and some of the others, you had carpet cleaning, you know, but not anywhere near the degree. Not on that scale, man. I mean, you're doing three, four carpet cleaners a day. Yep. I mean, that's yep. just yeah. a logistical nightmare. Yep. Um, well, and then the, the quality of, of what our guys were able to produce compared to I mean, I thought I, I knew how to do carpet cleaning, right? But like, a, 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 what do we call it? A just good cleaning or, or, you know, basically after you're done with the job, kind of vacuum it out. But our guys could patch, you know, they could, you know, get stains out and those kinds of things. It was amazing. So. Yeah, the color treatment, but we also have a different carpet. You have a multifamily versus residential. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of those multifamily carpets are built to take abuse on it. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't have the same staining in the quality as a typical homeowner. Yeah. Well, and it's different. The different. Yeah, a lot more with that multifamily. Yep. Aspect, and you could probably do with homeowner stuff. Yep. Well, and it was different by area too, because maybe the higher dollar area they might be more inclined to replace it, whereas some of the, you know, um, more areas where they want to get more life out of the carpet, you know, so. Um, yeah, that was, that was, it was fun. Um, so, okay, so I guess this is kind of where it, it hits the crossroads. So you went from working, you know, the majority of your life uh, for the contractor side, and then um, now you're with JS Held. So, you know, you, you, you've joined the dark side, right? You don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. I will not turn. The third party consultant. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's a dark side. <laughs> we don't really get that rap, but to me, the day we're trying to get the files, uh, close, you're trying to make sure the scope is right. Um, I mean, a lot of guys that deal with me, a lot of contractors know me outside of JSL. Yep. I mean, they kind of know what I've done, what I am, but you gotta just need to read the number. Yeah. Right to correct scope. Scope's a scope. Um, and, and then, Yeah, I like that. Splashes, bills, or any of that nature. I mean, a lot of times I go in there and 
Um, I get the invoice for a large reconstruction project. My number might be higher than the contractor. Yeah, yeah. It can go both ways, right? Well, I guess that's... Yeah, the, I mean, it, that's the part of the conversation I definitely wanted to have because, you know, so I, I do believe a lot of the times on the contractor side, we complain about things, but don't actually take a step back, look at them in their entirety. And, you know, a lot of times I think whether it's a client or a carrier or a consultant, you know, it's probably those interactions that are negative are very small. But sometimes those stories get yeah they they get blown out of proportion and those are the stories obviously we talk about but um, so what what uh, what was most surprising I guess maybe let's start when you were on the um, contractor side had you dealt with that many consultants I have I mean, I, I, I kind of paid you went through it a little bit I wasn't very nice as a contractor I'll probably say a lot of those other guys out here. Always complaining about the contractors, the TPAs, yeah, um, the adjusters. Um, but in the day, uh, look at what uh, I see on this side. Yeah, you just see how everybody uh, puts together incomplete scopes, and you just see the variances in the same market between contractor A, B, and C. And yeah, it's sometimes a little tough. Yeah. Well, and there's. You know I mean, I definitely. Uh, uh, I, uh, looking back at it, I wish I was a little bit uh, more nicer, everybody. <laughs> Well, you get, you get kind of um, blinders, right? You get just uh, focused on what you're doing, and sometimes you forget that other people have legitimate jobs as well, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you're trying to, uh, as a contractor, you're trying to get to a, a number. Yeah. You know, some of the project. Um, you're trying to make sure you hit your margins. Yep. And adjusters trying to make sure everything uh, fits in there. They're going to get audited and make sure everything is okay that they can get uh, close the file. Yeah. So you there's documentation or something of that nature they need or make the file go away. Right. And make sure you get uh, the building. Now, is the, is the majority of the stuff you're doing mostly larger losses, are you still, is Xactimate still kind of the, um, I guess, the accepted tool, the, the main thing on a lot of those larger losses that you're trying yeah, to... I do exactly every single day. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah man. I, mean, I use a lot of exact name. We do use some other soft, uh, pricing software. Most the stuff that I do is an exact name. Mostly exact name, yeah. Well, it kind of creates a common language, right? It at least is something that all the, the carrier, the consultant, and the contractor can understand, right? I agree. I agree completely. The price list is the price list. Um, I mean, there's some variables in there, but I mean, it's... And most times, it's, it's, it's everybody talking apples to apples. It's not. Yeah, for the most part. I'm writing to Smith and I'm writing to Activate. And all you guys are writing up in RSD. It's just kind of nature. Speaking of third-party consultants, right? Um, so, you know, we've got our, our friend, Ed, got him in our, our webs, and we're, we're extracting the information from him so that uh, you restoration contractors can know how to fight the system. Tell them to catch you outside. How about that? So the audience is a bunch of hoes. That's probably my favorite part, Dr. Phil's huh? Um, so if you're just now dropping into um, this podcast or this video, <laughs> rewind to the intro if you want to get the full context. So, But, uh, you know, yeah, in that, that struggle in our insurance ecosystem, third-party consultants can be a, you know, a, 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 a speed bump or, 
you know, a part of the process that not everybody enjoys. But, um, you know, as we're talking through that, hopefully we're giving you some points on how to make that much better. But it is uh, an area of focus for the Restoration Insur Restoration Industry Association, RIA, right? The AGA, the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, which I believe most are aware Ed Cross, the restoration lawyer, was the founding chair of. And so as I... I, I don't know if everybody's caught up to speed, but like as I was getting in, you know, back engaged in this whole process, um, I remember seeing the video with Bill Loveland. So it's pretty popular nowadays to do these like video reviews. So I don't know how many people have um, seen this. I, I, well, I know here, let's see, at least 2,000 have viewed it on Ed Cross's uh, YouTube. But uh, I'm sure there's plenty more, so let's take a peek. Um, Ed Cross was the founding member, uh, founding, sorry, founding chair of the Restoration Industry Association, RIA, Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, the AGA. So back in November of 2019, Exactware founder Bill Loveland takes the stage at RA's 2019 Fire Summit after expressing a desire to set the record straight about what he had heard from AGA. He agreed to take questions and responded to point-in questions from Ed Cross on the accuracy and stagnation of Xactimate prices, the imperfectness of their system, and their intention that Xactimate prices only be used for reference, and then Exactware's commitment to work with RA to improve the process. So he said, if you have an argument with an adjuster about what they're going to pay, you're not much of an estimator. Uh, and Ed put uh, hashtag tone deaf. So let's. He wants to, I think, set the record straight from yesterday. Would that be accurate? I'd like to. Dude, Ed always looks sharp. I invite you up here. You have a microphone. You have the floor, sir. Okay, let's uh not from the other side. But we we started this because there was a pricing system out there, PSM PMS Compuflame. Do you guys remember that? Okay. They said, well, this house is in an affluent neighborhood, so it's a type three house. This but you know you can have a mobile home with nice countertops in it, right? So so I don't know, it, 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 that part is amazing that uh, these brothers, the Loveland brothers, um, developed this estimating software that basically aggregated all of this information. I don't know how many of you are familiar with like RMS means, but there's still a book, like you can get it at Home Depot, where you look at basic uh, square footage pricing, those kinds of things, escalation by region, you know, these kinds of things. So it's very, it's common, right? You You can do the same thing by trying to get subcontractor bids and, and get a rough idea of what the costs are and the labor is in your area. Um, you know, and then there's all kinds of factors that play into that travel and that kind of stuff. So that they were able to um, compile something that brought that together. And honestly, like, especially young contractors or new contractors that are skilled tradesmen that maybe don't necessarily understand the business, like Xactimate can be a great tool for um, at least giving you something 
quasi-scientific. By that I mean rather than just going on your gut, you know, if you're computing it by square footage, totals, and those kinds of things, it at least gives you like a ROM, a rough order of magnitude of where you would be to be competitive if you know how to use the system. So you get, uh, you have to at least give that to Xactimate that they put together something that um, once you understand how to use it has is is fairly um, you know is is a great place to start. We so we were contractors and we put together the best yeah. that we could and, and our concept then and still is that we were getting surveys from PMS Compliance asking us how much we wanted to the get feedback loop for a light fixture detachment instead of light fixture. We said this is kind of silly, really, because what they ask us and what reality are probably two different things. How somebody would normally respond to that as a contractor. We need to know what people are using in the estimating process. So, you know, I mean, they're asking for feedback. You know, that's uh, I think Ed will get to that question of whether here, there's a little chart here. Yeah, Ed puts together this percentage of change in laborers and stuff like that. My contention is we are very willing to work with RIA and contractors in general. RIA. <laughs> Maybe that tells you how they feel about uh, RIA. <laughs> RIA. Uh, hmm. What is that on the end of? So the RIA. So that's, uh, you know, um, we, we, we create these sides, right? But, uh, you know, I... One thing you have to say about RAA is they brought the, um, that, that I don't, to my knowledge, no other group has uh, brought together is bringing together, bringing to the table for discussion the, um, the decision makers in the various outlets. So you've got here, you know, Bill Loveland, um, you know, I'm not sure how much of a decision maker or how involved he is in the process. You know, but uh, they they have the current in subsequent conversations to this, they have the current CEO of Exactware on the conversation. Um, I know they've been having conversations with third-party consultants, and you know, so the the AGA has got the um, what do you got the pricing? You got third-party administrators and TPCs. You know, are the three kind of core committees that um, are working on this thing. So <laughs> the RIA. Oh man, that's great. RIA, uh, RIA. To come up with a better process, and we appreciate the feedback. I appreciate it. That's um, so. <laughs> if you've ever worked with Xactimate, a third-party administrator, um, you know, um, any name name them, and uh, everybody is just really open to feedback. And really, they their prime goal is to make the process um, easier for contractors, right? I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. That's what we experience every day is exactly that, that there's just a real openness <laughs> to feedback and making the process more helpful and logical, right? Visiting with us, can, can we do a better job of surveying? Perhaps we can. Excuse me. Is this where we cue in the catch me outside? How about that? Catch me outside. How about that? <laughs> huh? Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> 
Well, but 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 okay. So you got Ed Cross there, the restoration lawyer. Uh, he's got you on stage. You know, you're uh, you're the emperor without the clothes on. There's no cronies, right? It's just you and a room full of contractors that uh, had to be uncomfortable. You got to give Bill credit for that as well, for um, going on stage, uh, doing a one-on-one -on -one with Ed, and then also being willing to field uh, questions from people there at the summit. That's where this comes. Some value. I Some appreciate, value. I appreciate it. We are also very I appreciate it, but I'm not the guy that's going to do anything about it. <laughs> to phone calls if you have concerns in your area. About yeah, call me. What's your cell phone? What's your cell phone, Bill? I was looking for Bill's email. Can't find it. We're in a small community. The freight hasn't changed for a long time. Is he calling out Mark Springer? Like calling out Bozeman, Montana? We don't claim to be perfect, and we don't claim <laughs> for anything other than reference prices. Uh, I know, let's see, right here you got tips about padding Xactimate element, uh, estimates from claims delegates. So, um, you know, Andy talks about, Andy McCabe talks about that a lot. It's not a, it's, it's a claims negotiating tool or something. I'm sorry, I don't remember what his wording is, but... Uh, um, yeah, reference prices, right? Um, it's the de facto tool, and that's, uh, you know, I'm going to shamelessly plug my own thing, but that's why I'm writing this Be Intentional Estimating, not to solve the issues of estimators, but, um, you know, have the right mindset and habits to um, play the game correctly, right? But Xactimate's uh, <laughs> just a reference, guys. It's not um, the de facto default, what everybody refers to. It's... Uh, it's just a reference. For your area, another quick point was on the, uh, uh, the, the blazer technology, the blazer of blazer we saw yesterday. We will not put that in the price list until you guys put it in and start using Matterport. They can contact us, but we need your price. Contractors in the audience who say they're not allowed to charge for something by the insurance industry until you put an item in for it. Boom! If if you need if you need an excuse alone to consider the value that Ed brings to the table, that was beautiful. That's what everybody wants to say, right? I honestly I haven't been a part of RIA for a long time, and um, this is it's exciting, encouraging to see um if, if you have objections to being a part of it, if you're in the industry, who else is bringing the conversation face-to-face -face with the people that made the program and run the programs? I mean, what, uh, you know, it's what, 250 bucks a year to be a member of the RAA? What value, what value do I get for that 250 bucks? I don't know, what value do you get from, you know, eating at McDonald's all the time? So, um, it's like I, I, I've never seen, I personally haven't seen this kind of interaction. And then, you know, the, um, the ongoing conversations with, um, I'm sorry, I know his first name's Mike, um, the CEO of, uh, of Exactware. So <laughs> who else is asking that question directly to the people running the program? So that's, uh, it's at least encouraging, and it, we will see what's coming down the pipe. But, uh, whoo, 
for me personally, Ed has been, you know, very gracious. Um, you know, he has become a sponsor of the podcast and wants to highlight his efforts with um, making contracts for restoration contractors affordable and accessible. So if you can't afford to have, you know, a full-time lawyer or even retain someone like Ed Cross, then he's created these um, service uh, standardized restoration contractor um, uh, packages and uh, including uh, coronavirus service contract packages. And so, um, you know, they're accessible, affordable, satisfaction 100% guaranteed. Um, if you listened last time, you know, I made a faux pas with saying he'd give you cash out of his wallet, which is not advisable in these corona times. Boom. You got the restoration contract store, affordable contract forms in plain English, easy to use, and weighted in favor of the restoration contractor. You got the coronavirus service contract package, cleaning and restoration contract package. You know, that's obviously if you're doing coronavirus, that's a, a, a whole nother thing, a whole new thing that continues to evolve. But check out these cleaning and restoration contract packages. You got subcontract packages. How many of you are having issues with subcontractors? Employee disclosure agreements for the um, COVID-19 resources for American employers. Regardless of the size of your budget, it's crazy how many big companies don't have, you know, great contracts, right? And so if you want to need to make your contracts bulletproof, if you don't have a contract, please get one. Um, protect your money at the start of the project and in the event that you have back-end issues. You're, you know, the contract is going to spell out you know, how some of those things get negotiated, you know, who's responsible for what. Um, don't be caught with your guard down and let opportunists uh, wrestle or choke you out of your money. Captain Insano shows no mercy. Get Ed Cross and his team in your corner, you know, or at least on, on your paper. Get them on your papers. Get Ed Cross in... Uh, you know, working for you. So ch check out uh, the resources he has on edcross.com. You can also go to the restorationlawyer.com. Check it out. Please do yourself a favor and protect your money. Well, do you recall, um, do you recall any of the um, particularly challenging inter exchanges that you had with a consultant when you were a contractor and then looking back on it now, how that would have been different? If what if yeah, you, I mean, I would have called him. Uh, I mean, a lot. Uh, I think he got a lot more done with a little bit of uh, sugar than told me all the time. Yeah, uh, I would definitely be more willing to share my uh, my ESX and stuff of that nature. At the end of the day, they're trying to get a whole picture of the project. Um, I mean, just being honest, I mean, it's just to see the different invoices come across and how they put things together. I would definitely refrain from bulk billing and stuff of that nature. I mean, I would try to be as detailed as possible. Well, um, and I, so one of the things I, I want to try to do, I, I, I want to try to be more cognizant. We've got some feedback. Some of the people listening are newer to the industry, right? Or So what do you what do you mean by bulk billing? Well, basically, when you go in there, for example, you have an EMS bill, use exactly and you drop in 198 hours for yeah. labor, and then 400 pieces of equipment, um, it kind of needs a little more detail on that. I mean, that's going to be really difficult to get to an agreement or recommend that invoice. 
So you have a, a nine-story loss, and all they have is labor and equipment, right? It's not broken out by room, yeah. no details on the scope. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd be pretty difficult um, as far as trying to get uh, recommended. You have know, a little difficult. You probably have to write your own estimate. Yep. Uh, kind of write up your own estimates that make sense and sort of work. Yep. Um, as clear as possible, whoever the user is reviewing it uh, just understands what was entailed in that project. Well, I, I've, you know, one recently we're working with a local contractor and helping them and they wrote in their normal way and, and they do a good job of breaking things down, kind of labor and providing details. And the adjuster, the large loss adjuster asked for an exactimate and we actually came back, it was like $5,000 more. Um, you know, so I think a lot of times people don't realize Xactimate can be a great tool. You know, sometimes there's there's some pickups if you know how to use it. You know, and not even advanced, right? You know, just putting yeah, the. I mean, it's there's a way to get there, get your number that you need to get to. I mean, it's pretty pretty pricing, I believe. Yeah. Well, um, that, especially with the larger price, with the larger price, you get about like hundred grand. Um, it may not make sense to use Xactimate. Um, yeah. Especially it's from the complex projects. I mean, publish a price list. Furnish sheets, put up logs, moisture mapping, it, it works. Yeah. There is a good way to build a file in order for you to get paid on at the end of the day. Well, and that, um, so that kind of comes to a point. I know that was some of our frustration. And that's probably, you know, looking back at it, that's probably your guys' frustration as well, right? Where one of the biggest complaints a contractor has is when the third party consultant is called in. You know, the job's been done for three or four weeks, and now the carrier's calling it in a consultant to review the file. I'm sure that's probably not ideal for you guys as well, but it kind of... No, it is what it is, right? Now you're trying to, to recreate everything and, and get a grasp of it. So you mentioned, like, not sharing the ESX. Um, what, uh, I guess, is there a way... I mean, that's not a, a problem that you all create, right? You get called when you get called. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, refer, uh, a lot is kicked up to a high enough level where yeah. there's some complexities into it where yeah. they may bring it for, for a consultant. And so at that point, we're trying to get it out there. We're trying to put eyes on it. We're trying to be with all the best parties in the project. Yeah. Maybe the contract, maybe the carrier, walk the project, get an idea of what's going on out there, document the loss, and then... Uh, take a, maybe write up a repair estimate, maybe do a desk review of the invoice analysis, a couple different ways to slice the pie depending on the project. Right. Um, but it, it's just trying to help us get enough information there to get the invoice. I mean, we go in there with the price list, with the sketch, looks right. Um, I mean, and then you can do, uh, make uh, recommendations at that point. Right. A lot of times we do, like, hey, say I get an invoice, I'll go in there after, actually, I have to go in there and schedule out the invoice. Um, and touch every single line I'm in there and see if the price list makes sense, if the quantities make sense, and then make recommendation based off of that. If, um... So it's just not looking at an invoice and putting a double stamp on it. When, when I know a lot, a lot, a lot of the companies use, um... Uh, you know, time and material price list when it's a larger loss is pretty common, right? Uh, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So in, in that case, if the contractor has an agreement that's been approved by the client, um, 
that doesn't necessarily obligate the carrier, right? That's that's the agreement between the no. contractor and the client. So what's uh, I guess are there? I guess what I'm looking for is there ways that make that make more sense, or how do you if if a contractor is using the time and material, what's a better way to ensure? You know, some of those things that don't get rejected. What are the things that are going to get them um, be called out, called into question, and make the process harder? Maybe some of the price lists. I mean, see, see, we look at labor items, uh, labor rates, and such of the nature. We're looking at labor rates. Um, we kind of know what the highs and lows are. Yeah. We're, uh, we're typically making recommendations based off of FLSM, basically the Fair Labor uh, uh, in the local jurisdiction. So typically we recommend overtime after 40. Typically, I mean, these are all very broad paintbrushes. Yeah. I'll look at the corner. Yeah. Um, but it was, some additional considerations might be taken at the beginning of the project. Yeah. Uh, they come out three o'clock in the morning. Uh, but they, in broad strokes, we're looking at labor rates, we're looking at when the overtime applied. Yeah. Especially with the double time on Sundays, automatic time and a half on Saturdays. Um, they may not really be applicable in that project, depending on how long that person is out there and such. Some other things I'm typically looking at is equipment counts. Uh, equipment counts and how long the uh, duration is. Was it out there for three weeks? You're, you're, uh, you're charging every day for equipment? There may be a discussion on that aspect. Right. Well, and that's pretty standard, right? Like, if you're going to charge for it every day, do you have readings that it was operational and doing what it was supposed to be doing, right? Um, yeah, specifically after... <clears throat> After a certain point, I mean, uh, would recommend going to a weekly and a monthly yeah. rental rate on that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that, um... Right. But do you... Yeah, some of that stuff, I mean, if you... It adds up pretty quick to that stuff. Yeah. If you run a piece of equipment from Sunbelt, then you know, I try to get you in the weekly rate as soon as possible in order to get the cost of the contract. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can honestly say one of the hardest lessons I had to learn, I had a client... Um, in Oregon, a large loss. And um, so we we did the work, we had it documented. And then um, when I presented them with the invoice, I gave them a bunch of credits, but I didn't line out the credits, you know, to say, say if we gave them equipment um, at, uh, you know, at a three day or four day rate per week or whatever. Um, Rather than showing those credits line by line, I gave them a discounted invoice, and then it reached a threshold. Um, it reached a threshold for consultant review, but not um, the consultant didn't have, I guess, authority or whatever. So it just kind of made it really muddy. And one of the biggest lessons I learned is if you give a client a credit, always make sure it's detailed out the credits that you gave. So that way, if it goes back to a review situation, you start from scratch rather than starting from a discounted invoice. Does that make sense? I agree. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, man, fact, oh, we get the document with some photos, there's some moisture mapping, whatever yep. provided to the carrier, your client. Yep. Try to put, uh, make sense to the client. Man, that was, uh, that was a painful lesson because now, once the consultant was in, you know, we're doing a review from an already discounted invoice, and um, that was that was not fun. And then also, 
The other part of that is on the client side, the person we had been working with was no longer part. They had moved on to another position. So the person that had all the knowledge of all those agreements and all those credits and all those things was no longer part of the claim. <laughs> so the new person stepping in that was the client uh, representative, you know, they're just, I just want, they just want it to be done. And uh, so it's tough. But documentation, like you said, is, uh, it's critical. And it's so funny, you know, like you said, you know, when uh, when you're seeing estimates from contractors and the, the ones that want to complain the loudest are probably oftentimes the ones that have, you know, the less details, right? You you, you bow up to try to protect what you don't have. Yep. But the way they put together the invoice yep. uh, is just problematic for a uh, time review and make this recommendation the way they put together invoice. But they yeah. do great work. I mean, uh, there's a lot of great contractors in the, uh, around the country in yep. the area that work with the daily. And sometimes it's just the way they present it yep. is the issue. I can go up there and write a video up and exact it and be able, be able to verify their estimate and you won't hear from me. If it gets larger, I may have a function for these guys. Yeah. It's yeah. difficult sometimes. Well, and do you see too, um, like the contractors, I guess, I, I don't want it necessarily to have a negative connotation, but play hardball, right? If it is true, contractors, so many contractors, whether it's residential or on the commercial side, their sales pitch is, you won't have to pay to the client. You won't have to pay anything. We'll take care of everything. And that almost from the outset sets a bad expectation because you need your client to understand that they have responsibilities, right? They have a responsibility to, you know, sign the contract, make the space available, pay for something that's that's reasonable. And so if you're going to play the game of, not the game, but the process of we are a time and materials company, you know, you need to make sure that they understand, hey, there there may be a point where your carrier doesn't agree with our invoice and you may be, you know, liable for certain overages that they're not going to cover. You know, that's between you and I. And I think it's important that contractors present that to their clients from the get-go rather than hide that and, and try to give them a rough ballpark too. If you're going to be a time and materials contractor, you should be aware of what the standard exactimate rates are and give your customer kind of a high-low, right? Like we estimate, I mean, I know I can figure that out for the most part, right? I think when the carrier comes in, this is roughly what they're going to advocate for. This is where our invoice is going to be, you know, so this is roughly your out-of-pocket um, expense. Um, and it also depends on like deductibles and coverage. Yeah. There's a lot of things I don't get into, like the coverages. And if it's commercial, pro uh, con uh, big thing I see is like condos versus apartments. Yeah. What they're expected to be, who's responsible for what. Oh, geez. It's just not, uh, personally, uh, yeah, from my contract back on, I had a half back on. Yep. Just being just abrupt and just saying, hey, um, Who? understanding that process, just trying to explain that to everybody that's involved. Um, it's just, Well, and being, especially in those condos and HOAs, right, being clear on who's paying our bill. <laughs> you know, that. I mean, like, for example, like, uh, I don't know how it is over Seattle, but DC, there's uh, like a lot of these condos from the 1960s, 1970s, and they have them 
multiple different renovations and just understanding that, hey, uh, you're kind of responsible for the original construction. Yeah. Not what it is today. Oh, dang. Yeah. You know what else is going to make you say, oh, dang. Yeah. It's the Diojo Podcast, episode 25, our prior episode with the one and only the Michelle Blevins, and she's got a word of encouragement for any of you wannabe social media persons out there. Maybe you don't even, maybe you're like, a, excuse me, hello, can I raise my hand? I don't want to be social media, but you realize I got to be on there. So we talked about with Ed Cross protecting your money. Social media, we all know, is a way to help get the brand out there and to get your money. So Take this advice from Michelle Blevins from the Diojo Podcast, episode 25. Michelle Blevins. Like when it comes to reviews and stuff like that, I know that some people don't have Facebook or whatever for those reasons. Like they're afraid of the bad reviews. But bad reviews can be an opportunity to correct something and show the public, like if there's a bad comment, figure out a strategic way to post and reply. Um, You know, that can show that you really care about your customers and have maybe fixed the problem or whatever. And so, you know, don't look at bad reviews as necessarily bad things. The secret is all of us are trying to figure it out and experimenting, right? No one knows really what works. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. There's some like tried and true things, like always have an image and Make sure that your post is updated and change it up so you're not always serious. But other than that, you're right. We're always, and it's always changing. It changes daily. That's, you have to adapt or else you're going to, (laughs) you're going to die. Just like social media, right? You know, you can have your fear and loathing and avoid it. Can you think of some simple maybe do's and don'ts for strategic branding (laughs) you'll get there you'll get there (laughs) you'll get there you'll get there you'll get there well we had one um we were working with a client and um they had like a ten thousand dollar cap per event per I don't remember if it was per, or maybe, I'm sorry, it was like a $25,000 cap. Something incredibly low um, per occurrence or something like that. So it basically, because right, typically in the condo scenario, the condo owns like the roof and the shell, and then the individual owners are responsible for the units. And But for whatever reason, like this, the cap was incredibly low. So... <laughs> I see what's in your mind. It is stupid. You know, a lot of a lot of people are upset, but um, it was interesting because many of the people who were on the condo board, you know, had voted for that policy, and then you know were obviously negatively impacted by it. So it behooves the client to. I mean, yeah, the client's got to know what they purchased, right? Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they kind of have a good policy. A lot of times the contractors going out there and turn off in the morning and extract water. Yep. I'm not quite sure what the policy is. Yep. I mean, the risk manager is not going to be there. Um, you know, most of the time you sign up a, a kind of authorization, you start extracting, you start setting up a grind equipment, start that <coughs> process. Um, yep. Especially if it's a new client, it's one of the nature, you're not quite sure of the background. 
Yeah, 100%. So if you if you had, um, like, for, for contractors that want to create a better um, claims experience, especially on those large losses, do you have maybe, you know, two or three things that, that really help and two or three things that they should stop doing immediately? Uh, bulk billing, top bulk billing. Try to make have a detailed estimate. Try uh, however you want to do it. Exact me, time material, whatever your method of putting into your invoice. Just try to do that as detailed as possible. Um, one line of money, thousand dollars doesn't really help many <laughs> people. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just uh, I mean that, that's uh, a big thing. Um, try to document. Make your file as, as thick as possible with photos, diagram, moisture mapping. Um, play next to the sandbox. Roll have a part, uh, aspect that you can try to complete it with. Try to be communicate well with all parties. I mean, that might be the building. Uh, it could be a contract. You might have to deal with tenants. You might have to deal with the building owner. You might have to deal with risk management. You might have to deal with a couple different adjusters on the yeah. plane. Yeah. And you may have to deal with uh, building consultants. Yep. Just try to uh, play nice and be able to... Uh, Yeah, that's, I, you know, um, I don't know if this is something you used while you were in the industry on the contractor side, but I used to tell everybody in our organization, we don't get paid for the work that we do. We get paid for what we document, you know, so, you know, the documentation, you know, and that's like on your team, you mentioned a lot of the larger companies, if you have this large loss, you'll have somebody that's checking all the paperwork. I mean, their only job is paperwork, you know, and it's uh, it's crazy. You need all the people that are cranking out the work, but when it comes down to getting paid, it's what's in the photos, what's in the, like you said, the moisture maps and the documentation. Um, are you seeing, um, I guess this is maybe more of a personal question because I'm intrigued, but are you seeing more and more of the 3D scans and the Matterport and that kind of thing? Yep. That we use for the falls owner. So if I can cause a loss, uh, either uh, we're going to document one of those two ways. Yeah. What, it makes it so much easier on the back end. Well, what do you, what do you from a, from a, a third-party consultant's perspective, what do you see as the advantages of the Matterport, or how is it helping you with the documentation, that kind of thing? What are the... I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a snapshot in time of how the product is when you walked it. Um, yeah. You're able to count life with you. You're able to count. Uh, you, you can get measurements off of the cabinets. You can see the actual condition of the cabinets. Yeah. Um, I, I two by two seal how the two by four. We look at the holler, uh, Matterport. Uh, what's all yeah. involved in that product? You're, you're able to document the all successfully using uh, these tools. It's it's life a whole lot easier. Not argue uh, having a discussion. Hey, it's three space versus six space. We yeah. Look at the Matterport. That's crazy. One well, and, and yeah. Plus, plus it makes if you down the road if you have some kind of contention, it's better details to zoom in on and, and check, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
you're saying it's co-based in the kitchen. Uh, I have it as a baseboard. Yeah. Take a look at the photos. I mean, there you go. Yep. Boom. Here's the link. Yep. I mean, there's it, it, no argument at that point. Like, this yeah. is what it is. Yeah. And like you're saying, um, I think Andy McCabe, I had him on episode five, he said, so you can zoom in and actually get measurements and things off of the Matterport yeah. scans? Yeah, he, he drops in a sketch. I mean, the sketch is amazing. Um, hollow builder, you're not really able to do that, but you got, I use hollow builder by like floor plans. So the floor plans are spec. I'm able to use that and transition that over to hollow builder, which will be a faster process and it's less expensive than Matterport. But I do enjoy the Matterport also. Did you say that's called hollow? H O L L O W? H O L O E U L I D E R. So it's a hollow builder, um, and then you have like this little Vista 360 camera. It's about four hundred bucks. Um, it's a whole lot cheaper than Matterport, but it's it's a good inspection tool. Okay, so maybe if somebody's trying to like experiment with the technology, that's a good starter kit. Mm -hmm. Nice. And if you're not, if, it won't give you the sketch right of nature, but if you're able to, uh, hand draw the sketch where you have floor plans and then a nature, and you transport that into hollow builder. Um, you're able to actually able to walk around and scan property pretty quickly on that stuff. Wow. Okay. Versus the scans every every feet, eight feet of the uh, Matterport. Yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome, man. Um, well, any any I guess um, any other that was kind of the talking points that I wanted uh, exactly like you said. I mean, like, that's for my student EMS. The only other thing was we get together a research estimate. I'll try to. Yeah, the same thing you do with the EMS is document it, Matterport, 360 cameras, um, try to include everything in there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you know there's going to be change orders. A lot of times I see some of these contractors um, put together like an 80% estimate and then change order all up. Yeah. Of bidding processes. I don't think that's a good process to be have. Yeah. 80%. You know, you have unknown things going into a project. Um, I think that's pretty standard. But I mean, some of these most... Some of these products you're able to figure out what those are. You kind of exclude those for your numbers. Do you find, for the most part, um, you know, on the on the mitigation side, you might be called in kind of after the fact. W would you say the majority of the rebuilds you're called in before it starts, or are there quite a few where yeah, you're uh, typically I'm about a, like a week, three to five days behind the contractor. Okay. So once the call comes in, I we typically get to call the three to five days after the fact. Yeah. We might come in there, it might be halfway through mitigation from that nature. That's not all the time, typically. I mean, sometimes we get the call and say, hey, it's like a previous EMS, we want you to down here uh, initially. Yeah. So, I mean, just, but most times it's within the week. We like to you know, behind for a typical project about a week. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we may walk the project. Once EMS is completed, we're always wrapping up, able to document what was flood cut, uh, what was removed, what was dry, what was salvaged. And we try to walk that with the contractor and the adjuster if possible. To yeah. all the same yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems you know, uh, uh, at least in my experience, a lot more of the third-party consultants. There may be, you know, mitigation is already in motion or maybe complete, but for the most part, when we had repairs, you know, that's they're kind of usually called in about that transition point, right? So, um, yeah, it depends. They on the side of the project. I mean, yeah. things are all important, but it's all general terms. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of times, by the time the, the water loss happens. Uh, as soon as the water loss happens, the buildings that uh, the homeowners got called in their extraction, the mitigation company, 
shut the EMS. By the time it gets over to the carrier, claims file, uh, file, it gets over to the carrier, I mean, it's pretty much trying the process. Yeah. Well, and do you, th uh, since you've seen it from both sides, you know, as far as the contractor and as the consultant, um, is another thing, would you say that more often than not, the, the contractors that are having issues also haven't been communicating frequently and consistently with the carrier or the adjuster? It depends. It depends. Um, I mean, most times it's the way they put together the invoice. Yes. Yeah. Majority of the time, you know, with the good contractors that are being able to work out there, is, is typically the way they put together their invoice and what they're billing, maybe what's in the invoice. Yeah. Especially with the rates, and when you get uh, some of the topics as far as backup goes. Yeah. One, well, because the, the other side of that, too, like, you know, just as the, contra the contractors look into the carrier. You know they have kind of authority over the interpretation of the the uh, policy, right? I mean the same thing goes for the uh -huh. consultant, right? You're making recommendations. So if a contractor's yeah, done, well, a, I don't, I don't, yeah, I won't know anything about the policy, and that's between like uh, so we make recommendations off the entire what it costs, right? And then at some points, at some point, um, the language of the policy is uh, applied to what our recommendations are. Yeah. Well, and if, if the contractor has done a good job of communicating with the adjuster all through the process, that should make, once you get involved, more of a seamless transition as well, right? Because, hey, we've already, we've had this agreed, they approved this, you know, especially if there's things that are maybe outside of the norm, but the adjusters approve the way the contractor's approaching it, that makes everybody's job easier, right? The communication? Yeah, typically, yes. Yeah. Uh, the the gets involved or something, we're, uh, we're involved pretty soon after the fact. Yeah. In most cases. Yeah. So by the time uh, the GA is involved, you're communicating with the actual gentleman or the person that's in charge of that claim. Yeah. Uh, typically, the building consultant will be at that point. They're, yeah. They'll be behind the scenes working that also. What is wrong with you, Derek? I thought we were friends. My name is Andy. Your name is Liar because you're telling lies. One. You know, I, I know probably your experience, but when we were typically when you're dealing with large loss adjusters, they have they seem to have a lot more authority and obviously usually more experience, right, than than the everyday adjuster. And so, you know, I mean that's uh, the tricky part of it. Yeah. Yep. Well, the tricky part about Xactimated, it's written for standard losses, right? And typically on large loss, you're not dealing with anything standard. You know, it's uh, so you've got to, the more you communicate, the better you document, the, the better you can defend your process. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's that's the main part of tool. I mean, so yep. it's, yep. um, you go into, I mean, you go into a big loss, and I mean, thermal fog, you have like two cents a foot. I mean, a big commercial warehouse that may not be applicable, and that's not that nature. Right, right. Or the German side, the German side was always a big money maker for me. Um, and you're going to apply German side on a three thousand square foot loss at like eight grand, and you're basically uh, maybe using like three bottles of sports feed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got to be in scale, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just something that's kind of people know this. I mean. We've been around the block. I mean, yeah, we're gonna know we're gonna make money on the project or not. Yeah, yep.
the gives and the takes. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> in the day, bottom line is what the number is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They can get behind that number. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, although I look at a lot of things like square foot numbers. You know, what's the square foot policy of the product? What's the extraction policy? You see, a warehouse and a warehouse, and I think down two dollars square foot, maybe even less depending, versus yeah. a high commercial building with a lot of cutouts, breakouts, and it's all one more walls and stuff of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I liked your uh, play nice in the sandbox. That's a that's a great quote. Um, so in the in that sooner or later, you're right where the same shirt is, that guy. I mean, it's, uh, you're going to be asking for getting your bill paid sooner or later. Yep, yep. Well, yeah, um, my, my father-in-law has a really good quote. He's like, you know, you can shear a sheep several times, but you can only skin it once, you know, so you got to be careful, you know, <laughs> That you know, sometimes people want to you know uh, retire on one job, and uh, that's not the way to approach it, right? You know, think about uh, long no. longevity. So, yeah, I mean, just you know how much you got tied to the project. I mean, yeah. we all kind of know what the markets are supposed to be. Yep. Well, I don't think there's any secret out there. It's just what what's all, what's reasonable on this claim, right? What can we get behind the program? Uh, is it it doesn't make sense. So you turn in time and a half for only workers, and you're out there for three weeks, and all the work is on Saturday and Sunday. Right. Yeah. Yep. It just, it just has to make sense on the project. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good, man. Well, any other, I want to be mindful of your time. So, any closing thoughts, you know, as far as that, uh, you know, creating a better relationship between carriers and third-party consultants and the um, contractor? Just play nice, document your file, um, just do whatever your bill is, try to stay away from block billing and yeah. get as detailed as possible. Yep. Just put your something together where it kind of makes sense and maybe in order of work, maybe. Um, that way you just kind of fall a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't, <laughs> don't be lazy, right? Be, uh, be detailed. Document yeah, like you're... You don't want to work do all the great work on the project and you put together a yeah an invoice and you're wondering why you're not making it paid if I get way put together. Yeah, yeah. Catch me Document like uh, that's what you're being paid off of because that's the truth, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, awesome, Ed. I uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time and and uh, for uh, staying connected over the years. And uh, I'm I'm glad you're at a spot where you're enjoying what you're doing and uh, putting your experience to good use. So. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, uh, our governor just announced uh, it's going to be required masks in public now. So um, you might want to wait a little while. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to do any traveling for, uh, for fun here, at least. Yeah. Over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks, Ed. Bye, buddy. We'll talk to you a bit. Catch me outside. How about that? Catch me outside. How about that? Catch me outside. How about that? Catch me outside. Catch me outside. Catch me outside. So that's going to be stuck in your mind for a while. If uh, you were aware of it, 
it's back. <laughs> we brought it back. The Ojo Podcast, bringing it back. Okay. And if you've never heard of it, it's now forever etched in your mind like the rest of us. So, <laughs> um, so <clears throat> man, um, Ed dropped some wisdom. Ed Fogel with JS Held, a third-party consultant, someone on the other side, sharing their wisdom. But, um, you know, a couple of things I really thought, I love that quote. Um, that's probably going to be the title of the this episode, you know, playing nice in the sandbox or you know, that idea too of not turning the sandbox into a litter box. Um, so know who's paying the bill, right? Um, and I can think of, you know, from experience, you have an idea on losses when they're getting to that threshold, you know, or you should be having that conversation with your client, you know, <clears throat> or and the, and the carrier. Um, so I know working at uh, universities and colleges, um, especially in Oregon, there were certain thresholds where they would handle it in-house versus going, you know, um, to a third party or, um, and those kinds of things. So know, know what those thresholds are. Um, you also know the larger the loss, the more eyes are going to be on it. So, you know, dial, dial your stuff in, know who's paying the bill. Um, Ed talked about stop bulk billing, basically lazy estimating, right? Um, just throwing in a crap load of labor hours. And I, uh, that's like, I think we talk about it on this episode, but I, I know how many contractors we deal with that the first thing they do if they get into Xactimate, but also guys have been using, guys and gals that have been using it for a long time, just dump labor hours in. And it's like, man, oh, we talked about that with Kirk on, uh, I believe that's episode 23. He's an independent adjuster. How much more money you can make if you utilize the program correctly, as opposed to just using labor line items and how less you'll get rejected. Um, the scope is the scope, you know, so have, as the uh, restoration company, have a plan going in, execute on that plan and document the piss out of what you did, right? Like document, document, document. Um, and if you have agreements from adjusters and clients and those kinds of things, make sure you reference and support them. Um, <laughs> I think that's what we cl close with, document like you're getting paid based on your documentation. That is the, one of the number one things I try to get across to anyone that I've trained is we do not get paid for what we do. We get paid for what we document. You know, so I've taught that to anybody that's estimated or project managed or been a, you know, a, a technician with me. We get paid for what we document. It's always going to go back to the documentation. So, um, you know, those are great points from Ed Fogel sharing from his experience both as a restoration contractor and now working as a third-party consultant. Um, so I, I made reference to it in um, our little breakaway with Ed Cross, but I wrote an article for Intentional Restorer with Restoration and Remediation Magazine, um, A History of Collaboration and a Future of Advocacy. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, that's super interesting to me. That's been um, a trail I've been trying to track down. I mentioned that in my I la mentioned last episode uh, article on um, podcast for restoration and leadership. And you know the OGs is IAQ Radio, Cliff and uh, Joe. Um, they get all the the guys that have been around for a long time that share stories. Here and there, you get pieces of uh, you know what uh, what they've done, and thankfully, I was able to nail down John Downey, um, who's currently with C I R I Siri, and um, 
And so we get to talk a little bit of a great article he wrote, uh, actually a presentation on his family's introduction into the industry as a fourth generation carpet cleaner. And uh, But in this history of collaboration, future of advocacy, um, Ed brings up bringing, being aggressive, diplomatic, and ethical. <laughs> Look at me. Uh, I'm so unethical, I can't even say the word ethic. Aggressive, diplomatic, and ethical. So I think Ed presents that in how he adjudicates, <laughs> for those of you that know legal terms. <laughs> but also how the RIA has been approaching, you know, um, advocacy within the industry. So I think there's coming up, Ed talked about, um, there's going to be a Facebook Live uh, the same day that this drops. So if you hear this in the morning, look for the RIA's um, Facebook Live talking about the um, what's been coming out of the AGA with regards to TPAs, third-party administrators. So... Um, keep an ear out for that and um, yeah coming up we've got uh, pro versus joe six will be dropping that's again the episode where brian shares his pro experience with project or uh, property management especially on the commercial side so you'll want to tune in for that if that's a target market for you as a restoration contractor and then john downey's gonna drop um, some perspective on history and uh, yeah, so and and then we've got another a local um, professional that talks about um, financial awareness and how we can help our ourselves and our teams and our businesses uh, better leverage credit and those kinds of things. So, looking forward to a lot of good conversations, a lot of technical difficulties. So if you listened all the way through, thank you. Um, you know we're trying our best, but this is not what I do full time. You know, so if you want to support us, we got shirts. Uh, the book will be coming out soon. Be intentional, estimating. Um, maybe we'll set up a Patreon or something like that. But uh, you know, uh, uh, keep doing good things. Thank you. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs>